Welcome to the Immigrations Podcast, where we capture the unique stories of Asian undocumented individuals living in the United States. My name is Ju Hong, and I'm a Korean immigrant activist. Hi, everyone. Today we have Eric Yang as our guest. Eric Yang brings many years of direct advocacy work in the nonprofit immigrant sector. As a DACA recipient himself, Eric hopes to provide more resources and services for the undocumented communities. He does this by providing access to information for resources catered to the undocumented population, as well as providing workshops, programs that help empower the immigrant communities. Eric graduated from El Camino Community College and received his bachelor's in economics from the University of California, Irvine. Eric, thanks for joining the podcast. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you, too. Um, and thank you to all the listeners right now. Thank you so much for participating with us here today. Absolutely. I first met you uh, through uh, organizing and mm -hmm. we met in a, a pretty uh, similar spaces. Yeah. And I uh, don't know uh, too much about your uh, personal immigration journey. And I would love mm -hmm. to um, learn more from you today. Uh, but before uh, we dive into your uh, personal immigration journey. Can you tell me the meaning behind your Korean name and why did you choose Eric instead of Unsu? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I love this question because, um, so I, I, full disclosure, I watched the other videos as well. Um, I watched very recently Glow's video of a personal uh, a mutual friend of ours. Um, and I think give, give a little brief, like understanding about Korean names, how Korean names work. Um, I'm going to go even further. <laughs> uh, so my Korean name is Unsu, which basically means Unhe, and then Water Su. And then my last name is Yang, Y-A-N-G, or Yang, as Koreans pronounce it. We don't say Yang, we say Yang. Um, yeah, so my Korean name is Unsu Yang, but I go by Eric. So my Korean name meaning, I actually has to, I really recently had to ask my dad. Because um, my dad's side of the family uh, named me. So uh, apparently it means unhe, which means grace. And then su ju is just like, um, it's, a, it's just like a, like a name that actually you actually put in at the end. Like, for example, like for anybody within the certain generation, they just have a, like a similar uh, one part of the name. Um, and and I, I can go into more detail, but without a doubt, su doesn't really mean anything particular, but it is in... In uh, Chinese Hanja letters, it means uh, river or riverbank. So I used to tell people um, initially before I thought it was great, I, th I thought in Unhe meant blessing. So I used to tell people, like, I have blessings overflowing like water, you know, and, and I found that it was grace. And I was like, you know, grace is great, but I, I'm, I don't think I'm very graceful. <laughs> I, I think if people describe me, they don't really say grace as one of those things. So, um, but I do like the name. Um, Eric is actually chosen um, with, you know, I, I went by different names. I tried different names. Um, I'm, I'm what you call a fob, obviously. And, you know, growing up in a, a Korean-American church, there's a lot of people like, like our name. I remember like my friend's name, my Bible names, like Peter, you know, and Brian, you know, and, um, and John, all these names. And I was like, you know, I want a Bible name too. I remember going by like different variation of Bible names and um, I remember thinking, well, E is a, you know, E's, I, I want to take aspect of my Korean name, you know, mm -hmm. um, and E, uh, Unsu, which doesn't really exist. The vowel doesn't really exist in English. Un, a lot of people pronounce it Unsu. It's not Un, it's Un, but, you know, yeah. uh, we rarely correct people, right? We're just like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> right. um, but uh, E, and I want to take an E, and I was like looking at Bible names with E, and I was like, there's Elijah, Eli, mm. you know, and I was like, do I feel like an Eli, you know? And um, and I was like, I don't think I, Eli had this like sense of like, like a man of God or like this like era of like presence. And I was like, you know, I don't have, I don't even have that. You know, I don't even have grace, you know? So I was like, I think, I think, uh, I don't know the whole etymology of like Eric, but I think it, for me, it came from like Erica. You know, there's like a, a Bible person named Erica. And I was like, I, I like Eric. And it's easy to say, my parents can say it. Eric, you know, um, obviously my parents don't call me by my English name, but um, I actually took up Eric uh, right before I transferred to uh, UCI. I remember I had it even after high school, 
Um, and every time, you know, th that dreaded first day of like, uh, you know, they always like, because my name, my last name is Yang. So I always knew when they call like announcements or like they do attendance, I always knew I was going to come at the end. You know, I was like, okay, I'm just waiting for it. As there was somebody whose last name is like Y-O or, you know, whatever. After all those people. And I remember like every first day they would stop and go, uh, ooh, ooh. And I'm like, me, just call me Eric. Just call me Eric. I'm fine. They're like, okay, thank you. And they just write down Eric. Um, at first, I think it started off as like, like I kind of want people to remember them remember my name and said it correctly mm -hmm. uh but he delve into i think this like understanding of like being able to choose your own name and like taking ownership of who you are you know and i appreciate my parents i love my name and my korean name Insu. you know i had it for many years but i you know i was a baby nobody really gets to choose their own name um it's very okay. rare unless somebody either you know um either transitions or somebody really wants to have a different name or they change their name or whatever. For me, I really wanted a name where I could choose myself. And I think that was something for me that I had a conversation with a lot of other, um, you know, a lot of other immigrant communities in particular, especially uh, Asian American communities where I think changing your name is kind of a, somewhat of a common, um, not as common now, but I think it's, you know, in like 15, 20 years ago, it, it, it's weird for you to have like a non-English name. So, uh, but for me, I really enjoyed going by Eric and I think and now these days everybody close to me that I met after I you know changed my name call me by Eric and I really like that a lot you know all, even on my social media I'm on Eric um even on you know like professional resumes I'm Eric <laughs> um and I think Eric is something that I feel like I was able to ch uh, choose for myself and I really appreciate it and doesn't mean like I don't appreciate my parents. I, I'm still going to keep my Korean name, you know, but right. I think Eric is something that like, I'm like, hey, that's me. And, mm. you know, there was a transition where I was like, oh, man, do I really look like an Eric? <laughs> um, and people have told me like, I don't look like an Eric. People have told me you look like an Eric. I mean, it depends on the person, right? But um, for me, I really feel like Eric is is who I am. And I think it's it's something that I take pride in. You know that's great yeah i think that that's kind of now it's like you it's who you are like you're mm -hmm. taking the ownership of that identity exactly. um i'm curious to know and this is very interesting i'm uh because for me when i first arrived here um as an immigrant you know my name is chu mm -hmm. uh, chu young uh, that's my first name and my last name is hong but you know obviously a lot of people don't know how to pronounce my name and right. Um, there's like you want to be part of this American society and so you want to have English name yeah. and later later down the road um, just being an undocumented immigrant you want to kind of um, hide your identity so I want to use perhaps uh, English name so that you know even when I share my story um, at least I, there's some level of protection at least uh, in the beginning that's how I felt and I'm yeah. curious to know if that resonated with you or that is just not uh, completely different no no that's that's perfect describes i think there was like a transition of time like you know i remember the first time i told somebody my name is eric like i remember very clearly it was just like a group of people we're hanging out at my community college at a table um and somebody new came in i was like you know like i'm just gonna try this name out it was like as if it was like um it was like trying out an outfit you know and it's like like oh i'm gonna see if this fits you know is this who i am you know and i was like hey i'm uh and everybody's just introducing somebody new they're coming in and they brought somebody like hey this is my friend blah 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 and i was like hey i'm eric and everybody at the table was like eric you're like yeah they're like okay eric you know and they're just like they're just <laughs> teasing me a little bit um and i was just like yeah like hey, do i like eric i was like if i don't like eric i'll go buy something else you know like whatever you know it was like a transitional time where i was like it's really interesting um and for me i had the mentality as well like i remember uh, internally, come, like thinking to myself, like, am I like abandoning the name my parents gave me? You know, <laughs> like, is, right. is, is that something that, like, am I dishonoring my parents or my heritage? And I was like, I think for me, my heritage isn't just the name. You know, I think it's core of who I am. I, I love being Korean. I don't think that's anybody can take that away from me. And I think, you know, um, there's a conversation. Even I don't know if it was 
don't know if you ever experienced this as well, where I remember there was a one point in, uh, in my life where people were comparing their Korean-ness. You know, mm. and they're like, I'm like, oh, do you listen to Korean music? Do you even watch Korean drama? You're not Korean. And I was like... In here, in the United States? In the United States, yeah. Okay. And I remember thinking, like, I don't really, you know, I know Korean music. Like, I listen to it, but I don't... Like, it's not my favorite type of music. <laughs> it's also, like, not my favorite entertainment to watch Korean drama, you know? And I'm saying those two are the only thing, but I think those are the one, ones that people know. And but there was a lot of questions of, like, are you even Korean, you know? Like, blah, 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 you know? Mm. And I was like, no, like, I am Korean. Like, Koreans are more than... Nobody can tell you're not Korean or nobody can tell you you're not who you are. I think that's, it really defines, I think as long as you're comfortable with that, which I was, and I was like, you know what? Like nobody can tell me I'm not Korean. So I was like, you know what? I think Eric is something that I really enjoy and I picked it myself. And I think it's a, a sense of pride. And I know you mentioned it because you don't, you, you said your Korean name is Chu Young. Um, and there's a lot of J names in, <laughs> in English, right? Like there's John, there's Josh, there's, Zachary, you know, like there's so many, but the fact that you decided to keep it is something that I think you did it consciously. And I think as long as you do something consciously and you're like, you know, this is who I want to identify myself. I think that's totally, I think that's what, that's the beauty of it. Um, and I think I consciously chose Eric and I think it's now inseparable to who I am. It's part of my DNA, you know, it's part of who I am. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's it's also interesting because I think this is something I just realized right now. There now I can pinpoint where I met this person in my life because whether or not they called me by Eric or they call me by my Korean name, Unsu. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can be like, oh, you are the Unsu friends. Right. And mm -hmm. you're the Eric friends. And I think it's an interesting way. It's an interesting perspective as well as interesting uh experience that I, I personally cherish. I'm like, oh, I get to experience this life where there are people who who have tried to call me by Eric and introduce me to their friends as Eric, but they themselves still call me as Unsu, you know? Um, and I think that's also very interesting. So I think I find, for me personally, I find a kick out of like somebody introduced me to, there's somebody like they know, and then being like, hey, this is uh, uh, Eric, this is Eric. And then they just look at me and they're like, yeah, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, it's okay. And I just always relate like, yeah, like he knows me by my Korean name, you know, like, I'm Korean. I'm Korean American. My new Korean name is Unsu. My English name is Eric. And I, you know, I, I think I, I go by Eric. You know, I think it's cool, um, and I think it's really great. So um, I personally enjoy people like uh, complimenting me on this. I remember I was gonna make a post uh, on like social media, like, hey, hey, y'all. I like I know y'all. Some of you know me by Eric. Some of you by the Korean name. But you know, I I chose my name because you know it's it's my name, and um, and I think it's really cool. Like I, if somebody still calls me my Korean name, it's not something that's like. I'm offended by or like I'm not just like oh yeah yeah like you can call me you know like call me either one I'm totally fine but yeah. it's just right now like I go by Eric because I think it's uh, that's just it's just kind of nice to have something that I chose myself and I was conscious enough uh, consciously made so um, yeah, yeah I think it's something that I go by now yeah no no that's great I think that you you are uh, you made a conscious decision and. You're proud of um, who you are and you embracing the identity. I think that's very powerful. Um, I think, you know, uh, there are some people that I know who been using English name, mm -hmm. but later in life, they change it to Korean yeah. name or yeah. other, uh, their um, homeland country's name and mm -hmm. um, versus other folks just decided to um, you know, use their uh, own name and not use um, English name. So let's talk about the identity. I, I, just speaking of this uh, Korean name and uh, English name and yeah. um, with us, um, you know, you are uh, Korean documented um, mm -hmm. uh, immigrant uh, uh, activist here in California. Um, tell me a little bit about your immigration journey and your your identities and uh and uh yeah what what kind of like makes you who you yeah. are as a primary identity yeah i think it's so i think just to recap i think um you know i'm, I'm korean american um, i'm born and raised in south korea until the age of about eight or nine um i came to the united states in 2001 for those who are trying to do the math, don't bother it. I'm 30 years old. 
turning 30 this year. <laughs> and I'm sure there are people who are trying to be like, how old is he? Um, <laughs> I know because I do that sometimes. So I was like, okay, well, I, I'll do. The, I'll make it easy for you all. I'm 30. I'm turning 30 this year. I'm turning big three zero. So it's a pretty big part of my life. <laughs> big year, um, big year. Yeah, and a big year. Hopefully things are big. I, I, I feel it. You know, this is this is my year. Yeah, I came to the United States. You know, my family. Um, we uh, had a visa. Uh, we're trying to do different methods, you know, here and there. Um, but I think, you know, and personally, this is from immigration process has been uh, more and more difficult. I think the American immigration policy uh, has been slowly becoming more and more xenophobic mm-hmm. and uh, based on fear rather than hope. And I think um, because of that, um, there's like this whole idea of close the door behind you mentality where a previous immigrant were like, you know, come come this way and then you're like well there's that way doesn't exist anymore and well you gotta do it this way you know and uh, we're going to go into a lot of different discussion but at the end of the day it's not easy as it was easier than as it was before it's getting harder and more uh, difficult now um and i think that um with that with that um i don't know exactly when my family became undocumented and when we uh weren't able to renew our visa or um our visa but the reason my family came to the United States is because um, me and my brother, you know, my parents wanted an education um, and they wanted uh, a, it's not like Korean education isn't, you know, amazing and great, but um, but it's just that they wanted us, they saw an opportunity to come to the United States. And my parents did tell us once, like, they were planning on coming to the United States uh, before I was born, you know, and they're like thinking about it. Um, but then, you know, things happen, life occurs and life happens. And, uh, my family, my parents both left their job and came to the United States completely. No one, nobody, we didn't have any family here. Only people we knew was, I think, uh, a pastor that my, my dad knew when he did a business trip. It was just like, everything was on a really scary time. And I can't imagine, you know, having to move an entire country, like not, not, a, let alone move to another city. Right. <laughs> But move to an entire country, don't speak the language of, right. don't know anybody. We had nobody here, you know, and, um, but despite all of that, like my family was able to find community here um, and was able to, you know, sustain ourselves to a degree, right? We are still uh, um, middle, lower middle class. Um, and we arrived in uh, Southern California and we lived in an apartment complex that uh, was able to, uh, you know, house all four of us. And then a couple of years later, uh, my grandmother came, my grandmother uh, from my dad's side. So my dad is actually the youngest. Uh, for those Korean listeners, he's the magne of the family, right? So mm-hmm. um, my grandma uh, came to United States because both of my parents were, you know, we were, me and my brother were, you know, basically a latch kid kid, you know, nobody came, was home when we you know, came to came home from school. Uh, so my grandma was able to be here and practically raise us. So my grandma is our third parent, you know, um, and yeah. So I think uh, so that's pretty much it, and uh, that's sort of like recap of the beginning aspect of our immigration. Um, I didn't get involved until really involved until uh, I came to University of California Irvine. Um, when I was in Irvine, I was a transfer student. I came from community college, local community college, and transferred to UCI and really got involved with a undocumented resource center there. You know, not only involved with the resource centers. Back then, it was a small office. Um, we had a amazing coordinator who really advocated for our undocumented resources. And then from then on, my time at UCI expanded to a center. And then that's sort of where I got bit by the activist bug. Right. The idea that you shouldn't be silent, the idea that you shouldn't just take scraps, the idea that, you know, it's not just about, you know, being here. It's, it's not just about equality, it's about equity as well. And all these things that I, the previous notion I had of how the world worked was, was sort of, you know, brought into light of like, no, like we shouldn't just be complacent. We should actually be active. And, uh, and I realized that all these amazing progressive movements that happened had occurred because there are people in that point in time who were pushing and motivated. And I realized, you know, maybe it's my time because all those people who previously have sacrificed so much, you know, and 
really put themselves on the line and their bodies on the line uh, for me to be here. So I think it's time for me to maybe take up the mantle. And I think that is something that um, I was able to get involved. And, I, and after uh, graduating uh, at UC Irvine, I got involved with a uh, local nonprofit called Korean Resource Center. Um, and then, you know, did a lot of work there. We did amazing uh, local advocacy work, worked with a lot of amazing national organization, uh, got a lot of other undocumented folks to be engaged and involved. And, um, and, and from then on, I think now I'm here. So I think now I'm speaking to you, you know, at this point. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I, I will be who I am if it wasn't for all those previous experiences. And I really appreciate every single person I met, you know, and um, and I think despite wherever we are at, I think just being able to survive, I think for us, I realize is, is, a, is a form of activism. And I hope that, uh, I know you know this, I hope everybody else knows this as well, that, you know, you got to, one, you got to know who you are. I think self-reflection, like unexamined life is not a life worth living, you know? And um, I think it's really important to know who you are, but also know who you belong to and where you belong to and really give back when you can. So, yeah, I think that's sort of where we are right now. And I want to kind of track back a little bit about when you first found out about uh, your mm -hmm. immigration status. Yeah. Can you tell me when... Um, when you first found out of immigration status and your reactions was? Yes, yeah, so I, I think it's, I remember very clearly. So um, I knew like even when I was in high school, like we weren't allowed to travel. I remember my parents were like, oh, we can't travel, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, we can't go back to Korea. I was like, okay. Um, but I didn't know what that really meant until uh, college application. Um, I think a lot of, especially a lot of uh, uh, folks in the uh, AAPI community can relate to this story as well. Um, I remember uh, having SAT class and uh, my parents signed me up for SAT class and we we're doing college uh, applications there. And I remember it's like, there was this question where it was like about immigration. And I was like, I actually don't know. And I talked to uh, the person who was helping us with application. They're like, oh, I'm like, okay. And, I, and then I called my dad and I'm like, yeah, let me call my dad real quick. And then my dad was like, oh, okay. Um, we can do it later. Just, you know, we'll do it at home. And I was like, okay. So I just, I, you know, skipped that portion and I remember just doing the essay part. And I remember coming home and then my dad's like, look, you, you know, we don't have any visa. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, I, I still don't know what that meant. You know, and it means that, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't fit in any of these categories. And I was like, well, so what does that mean? And then he said like, well, you know, it means, you, you know, you can't really travel, which I knew already, uh, but we're not, you know, visa, we don't have visa. And I was like, okay. Um, and it was it was shocking to me because I, I you know up to that point I was preparing to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. um, I did this, all this application. I did my best on SATs. I wasn't the best, most studious person, <laughs> I have to admit. Uh, but I remember uh, filling out FAFSA, um, FAFSA for those who are it's a federal aid um, uh, financial aid uh, for academics uh, for students. And apparently you're not supposed to do that if you're undocumented. It sounds like it sends like a target on your back. But nobody told me. So I remember my friend who helped me out with this father because he was a US citizen. We had no idea. Um, and then and I remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, I'm like I I really don't know. Um, and I had it, you know, because of that, like education college was astronomical expensive. Right. Um, and I was like, so what was the point of all this? What I thought we came to the United States to get an education, to go to college and really, you know, the American dream, you know, and the 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 white picket fence and two and a half garage and, you know, two car garage and a two and a half kids, you know, and and, and a dog. And what, what about all of that? You know, and had this idea and um, it really shattered. And um, so we went to a community college instead because it was a lot more affordable, especially back then. It was a lot more cheaper, too, back then. So we paid out of pocket. Um, and then I found out about, you know, eventually AB 540, which allows, uh, undocumented students who went to, uh, who has a equivalent of, uh, uh, you know, just California for those who are in uh, California, those who are not AB 540 was like, allows, uh, folks to pay in-state tuition despite immigration status. So, uh, even us citizens who came from another state can pay in-state tuition as long as they have, uh, uh, a certain level of, uh, California uh, public school credits or uh, California accredited 
uh, school. So um, I was paying in-state tuition, eventually California GMAC. I was able to apply for California GMAC, um, and then I transferred to uh, UC Irvine. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's when I found out about my immigration status. And I remember it was at a point of, like, where a lot of other people, you know, people consider college time to be a moment of discovery, right? Mm-hmm. For me, that was similar, but way, way different, right? It wasn't like, ah, oh, who am I going to be? It's more like, oh, my gosh, what what can I do? I think that was mm-hmm. that was a conversation that I had uh, with the, with my peers. I was like, oh, my gosh, okay, what can I do? You know, oh, yeah. um, and especially even at that time, uh, we, my parents, we, we couldn't really tell anybody. You know, we also didn't know there's resources out there um, and it was just really difficult. But uh, despite all of that, I remember, you know, asking for resources, talking to people. And we were fortunate enough to have a pretty good community who knew someone, right, who's also uh, oh, impacted. So they were to get resources from there. And um, and yeah, and that's basically how I found out uh, at that moment mm-hmm. about my immigration status. Why do you think our parent um, hide our identity until uh, in high school uh, when we have to <laughs> reluctantly find out on ourselves. Right. Right. I think that's a great question. So I don't know. I think, uh, every, I think almost every parent might be different, but I, I honestly never asked my parents this question. You know, I think, I think part of it is because, and this is just me speculating, right? I'm not, I won't even speculate what my parents are thinking. Um, even to have a family, but I think they were maybe hoping, fingers crossed, <laughs> uh, maybe things were going to work out in the end. They're like, whoa, you know. Um, and my parents are very religious as well. Uh, they're mm-hmm. very devout Christian. Um, so maybe they're hoping like, you know, God, you know, um, you know, maybe God will provide, you know. And I think obviously, and everybody knows this trope, like God works in mysterious ways. And um, yeah, I think they were hoping for that. And maybe they were hoping to never have to tell it, you know. And and part of it maybe and this is just me speculating as well is maybe you know they were just so busy living trying to survive on a day-to-day basis um and they didn't want to worry our little minds and hearts you know i think uh parents want to protect their kids from everything and anything whether it is physical damage hurting whether it is you know dangerous people dangerous things but also maybe Things that can scare us I and mean, worry us. I think, I think my parents were, particularly in my case, um, they were just trying to be like, look, just focus on your things. Maybe we can try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, even now, I think my parents still doesn't talk to me and my brother about finances, even though we're not, you know, well off. You know, and um, sometimes we're like, you know, they're worried because I think the, uh, the pandemic really uh, hurt them really bad as well. Um, it really affected them, and but they still don't want to talk about money. And I was like, parents, do you need resources? Do you need money? Like, what do you need? You know, but they're like, no. Like, I think uh, I think it's more like grit, grit my teeth and just like just just force it. And I think I think my parents' generation that worked, I guess. Um, but I don't think it's healthy, um, and I don't I don't blame them for not telling me. Um, I think they just did their best, of course. I think as, as people do and as parents do, they did their best. But I know that, um, I think that might be some of the reason why I always try to think about like what my parents are like, what my parents' thought, thoughts were. Um, for me personally, I am great to be in the United States. You know, I, I can't imagine, I think a couple of years ago, I was imagining what it feels like to be, uh, maybe if I was in Korea, you know, who would I be? Um, and I don't know. I really, I think it seems so foreign to me um, I, you know, from what I hear about Korea, obviously this is from an outside perspective, but it's, I, I think I prefer here, <laughs> mm. just the level of opportunities, not just in like, uh, employment or education, just opportunities about learning about other cultures and a lot of other experiences. A lot of, a lot of aspects of Korea, South Korea still now are very uh, closed off to a lot of the progressive ideas, right. you know? And I think for me, um, being here really allowed me to have experiencing the worldwide. Mm. And I think, um, and I really appreciated my parents for that. Mm. Would I be able to make that same decision for my kids? I have no idea. I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it takes a certain level of like, of motivation and bravery to do that. And I think I commend them for it every single day. 
Yeah. What about your uh, undocumented immigration status? If you're not undocumented, what is your yeah. journey could have taken? I think, I don't know. I think now that's, it's like the world of what ifs and it can be infinite, but um, I might have, <laughs> uh, I, I, this is just what I think. Maybe, maybe I would have been a, like an accountant somewhere. Um, now I'm not saying being an accountant is bad or, or, uh, or boring or whatever, but for me, I don't think it would have been me. And I think, um, yeah, I, I, I personally don't think I have that mentality of grass is greener. I think I'm just so focused on like growing my own grass. I'm like, dude, what do I, what I got to do to grow my grass? Um, I don't really think of too much about what my life would have been like. I Maybe I would have maybe worked for a company and maybe a stable job. I, I love stability as well. I personally love like, you know, consistency is also nice. Um, but I would like to think that I would have gotten involved some other way. You know, mm -hmm. maybe. I would like to think that, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot to think about. Yeah. No, I, no, I think that um, I myself question this quite a bit, uh, mm -hmm. but I always, um, you know, uh, look at this immigration journey um, with gratitude because without this journey, I probably wouldn't met you or other amazing people that I know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I found like a sense of purpose and I, wonder if you feel the same way in terms of do you feel like this this uh, type of work that you're doing is calling for you and whether this is kind of bring uh, some level of uh, purpose yes yes i do um i think that i you know i wake up every morning and i think this is, i'm one of those few people who are blessed to say i wake up every morning knowing i made a difference is that weird to say? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I, I, there's, it's been a really long time where I couldn't sleep or wake up without feeling like, what's my purpose? And maybe that's because the immigrant in me, maybe that's the undocumented immigrant in me, or maybe that's just me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but um, I can only look through my own eyes, right? But um, it's been a long time since where I woke up and be like, what's my purpose? It's more like, I got to do this, I got to do that. And like, my brain is already working. I got I to gotta survive, you know? Mm. Um, and I don't think that's always healthy, right? But but for me, like, I really use that motivation to, like, really advocate for my community. And because of my um, undocumented community, and because of my undocumented experience and lack of privilege, I think I learned to learn to, you know, accept and learn and love other uh, other aspects where I have privilege. I think one like thing what? I remember, like being a cisgendered man, you know, I think the level of patriarchy, I wouldn't understand if I have nothing to compare it to. I think the, the craziest thing about privilege is, and somebody mentioned this uh, before, um, that I'm just reiterating, um, but the more privilege you have, the less you notice it. It's such a, it's such mm. a, um, such an interesting ironic thing the more privilege you have the less you notice how that privilege played in your life and i think that because of that issue i think a lot of those who have privilege are are less likely to admit it and those who don't have privilege like oh man i can't even apply for this i can't even apply for that or i don't qualify for this or i'm missing in this community like i don't have my representation I, there's a lot of issues you know but then those who have privilege they're like well everything's fine like why are you complaining you know, it's like, um, and it's just simplifying the whole, obviously simplifying it too much, but I really do think like, because of my undocumented experience, I, I was able to learn like, okay, try to equate it as much as I can. Obviously I'll never understand how each person struggles, but I can at least to a point where I say like, wait a minute, like, I remember when I was trying to do this, I couldn't do it. So maybe, maybe I should humble myself and really understand like, maybe it's not always cut and dry. Maybe I don't know exactly what's going on in the other person's life. Um, so, and in that aspect, I think my undocumented um, status can be used as a, a form of like, you know, understanding and uh, having that perspective. And in that aspect, then I, I think I am 
blessed in that way. So I think, yeah, I never thought of it like that. I think that question really did took me uh, by surprise. But yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's just the way I think about it. No, no, that's a really great way to think about it. And what are some privileges that uh, that we may have as Asian documented that uh, lives in state of California? That's per that's perfect way to explain it. As an undocumented API that lives in Southern California, all of those aspects really makes it so much more privileged, right? Even with the the undocumented population, and as a documented too, I think that as a level too. But um, we live in Southern Calif California, and Southern California also is uh, put for the most part, not all of it, uh, and predominantly uh, progressive. So we have uh, aspect of sanctuary where. Um, the federal ICE agents doesn't work with local law enforcement, right? But obviously, you know, it's depending on where you live and your community and your county and everything. But for the most part, um, another aspect is as an Asian American, as a Koreans particularly, um, I am less likely to be racially profiled um, as a undocumented person. Um, and I, I think uh, we talked about this in a lot of API spaces, undocumented spaces, but um, the lack of representation of AAPI sometimes, very rarely, has its benefits. Not benefits, I don't know. It has its differences. I think that's a better way to say it. And I think that difference is we're less likely to be racially profiled as undocumented. We're less, less likely to be asked for our, our documentations and less likely to be um, uh, questioned of our uh, immigration status compared to uh, obviously the brown, uh, Latinx, Chicano, um, uh, Central American uh, community members, or those who uh, 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 see, uh, seem like uh, from that uh, uh, community. So I think because of that, I think in that aspect, it is sort of used as a double-edged sword, but um, I think this is a perfect opportunity for AAPI community members to speak out, not only as those who are less likely to be asked for papers, but also to showcase that other API folks are, who are also undocumented API and, and doing stuff like this podcast, right? Obviously we're spreading awareness and in a, in a very intriguing yet hopefully entertaining way as well and educational. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to use our, our resources and our aspects and our understanding to really do that. And I think, um, and this is just me personally, um, the more story we tell, the more clear the world can be of the, the reality is, you know? Mm. Um, and I'd love to go on it. I think we're gonna go on it a little bit more as well. Um, but I think I, I, I love the quote from Maya Angelou that I would love, uh, I love talking about is, I think I, I'm, I'm butchering it now, but um, there's no greater burden than keeping your story to yourself. Mm. And I think that is something that I, it's kind of like my, you know, my, the way I live, you know, it's, it's where sort of I combine, uh, obviously your story can be any, it doesn't have to be undocumented immigrants, right? Or that narrative, but your story as a, uh, a black and brown entrepreneur woman, or your, your story as a, you know, single parent, or, or somebody who belongs to the LGBTQ communities as a, you know, entrepreneur, as a scientist, or whatever your story is, I think it's very important for us to uh, spread it and send that message out. And not only do that, but also take ownership of it. Um, and uh, this is why I love this idea of a podcast, because no longer are we relying on traditional media to tell our stories. And we're taking ownership of our story the way we want to tell it. Right? I had... Um, many and I'm sure many uh, undocumented folks who was part of the movement, at least publicly, uh, contested this. You have a 30-minute conversation with the reporter, and then they cut into like 30 seconds, right? I had that experience many times, and they took it apart and to send a certain narrative. And I'm like, well, I did say that, but I didn't mean it in that way. You, you take it out of context, or, or it's to promote this idea. And I was like, I had, I had so much more things to say. They just had a small clip of me doing this or thing that. So I was like, hmm, this is not okay. This is, there's something wrong here, you know? And 
Um, so my work within uh, the nonprofit I was with uh, was to uh, provide resources, but also education and empowerment to other immigrant communities, particularly undocumented and non-DACA community members to speak out. And I think it was because even if I don't, even I don't think I can say their story better than they can. And I think uh, it comes true from them. As long as it's from them, I think it's true. And I think it's really important to uh, highlight that. So yeah, I think it's important to tell your stories and take ownership of your stories and the narrative. If not, this is the thing. I think uh, it was uh, Professor Gantz who actually said, if you're not going to tell your story, somebody else will do it for you. Mm. You got you got to tell your story. Um, whether it is publicly on the news where billions of people are watching or even in the way you uh, present yourself. You know, you don't have to have a big letter U for undocumented on your forehead everywhere you go, but the way you present yourself is very important because I think it, it, it tells a story. And I think... Um, whether or not you're comfortable or not comfortable, I think it's important to tell your story uh, when you feel comfortable, when you can. Um, yeah, I think that's very important to anybody who's listening as well. I think it's important to really tell your story the way you want to tell it. If not, somebody else is going to do it for you. And sometimes they have their own narrative and they have their own uh, biases and their own motives. And you don't want your story to be used as some sort of, like, dare I say, like a political pawn, right? So to push an agenda. So I think that's important to say. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more because I myself, when I share my story in, in, in the public or talking with a reporter, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes uh, they uh, tweak around or <clears throat> they uh, just um, use it as like their own leverage. Exactly. Um, and so we, I don't have uh, any ownership or say, and it has been already published and uh, that has been uh, always has been frustrating, and so, uh, like you said, this podcast is definitely a way of, you know, uh, controlling and really having our ownership of our own story. And this is for and by undocumented people, and I hope to really, um, you know, inspire and and add value uh, to the mm -hmm. community. And I'm curious to know on your end, uh, in the context of uh, undocumented. Uh, Korean uh, immigrants activists. What do people misunderstood uh, misunderstand about you the most? Wow. Okay. So these are the questions we don't get asked by uh, reporters, right? Because <laughs> they don't think about it. You know, they're just like, okay, what do you think about this? You know. Um, so to repeat your question, what do, what do people misunderstand or mistake uh, about my undocumented, especially uh, Korean American? I think a lot of people, well, I think, well, not much anymore, but a lot of people are surprised that I'm undocumented. Mm. You know, and they're like, you're undocumented? They're like, yeah. What, what does what does undocumented person look? Like, do they, <laughs> like I said, do they look like with a big U on their forehead? You know, like, um, no, we don't. We all, there's plenty of undocumented APIs, right. millions of undocumented black folks who actually are even more of a minority within the undocumented population. Like, their stories are not even being mentioned. Right? And so I think it's important to address those. And Und this undocumented issues um, are, right? immigration is a international, by definition, immigration is, a, is an international issue, right? By, right. by definition, because there's people from all over the country. I met many undocumented white folks too. Many people are surprised by that. They're like, what? They're like, yeah, I met some undocumented Canadians, right? And they're like, wow, that's crazy. And I was like, I know. But I met <laughs> A lot of people are surprised. And honestly, I'll be surprised if I didn't know. They'd be like, right. oh, they aren't like, oh, okay. Because a lot of, uh, by the sheer number of population, obviously undocumented Central Americans, uh, in particular, even even in, in the undocumented Central American, a lot of people are surprised. They're not just undocumented Mexican-Americans. There's un undocumented Guatemalan, undocumented Salvadorian. There's so, there's so many, right? As long as there are countries, there are people from that country here, and some of them are undocumented. So I think... Um, and that aspect, I think people are surprised. Um, and that notion, um, a lot of undocumented Korean Americans in particular, I can't speak for a lot of everybody else, but are also not, are very little, little hesitant about speaking about the immigration. Why you is know? that? I, I think it might have to do with, this is my speculation one more time, from my uh, perspective, I think it has to do with the culture, 
I think it, it, they feel like they did something wrong. They feel like even though the system has failed them, they feel like it's their fault. Uh, another thing is, is that and it's changing now, but it, the Korean word for undocumented person, it's still, it's used as illegal immigrants, mm. right? Rather than undocumented, right? Without paper, right? The, the, the word you use, it has power, right? It really does. Um, especially for those who are not really aware of what's going on, right? They're not, they're not paying attention to every single law, looking at the news every single day. So um, it's still in the Korean newspapers, news outlets. It's changing now more and more, but um, still predominantly using illegal immigrants as a Korean translation rather than undocumented immigrants. So I think a lot of Korean Americans, uh, because that's a common uh, 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 jargon association, of undocumented population, they're less likely to show up. I remember we held up a undocumented support group. Uh, we just had a gathering meeting, and we had we had people sign up. They're just like you know they signed up before the pandemic, obviously. We had like a dinner, we had like a gathering. It was really fun to hang out with people. And there was this uh, person who came in, and then they saw their cousin there. They're like, oh, what are you doing here? And they're like, I'm you know, I'm a I'm undocumented. They're like, I'm undocumented. They're like, You're wow. Undocumented? And I think the cousins, even the cousins themselves, didn't know that each other was undocumented. I think. Wow. And when I tell people this story, a lot of people are shocked, but a, a lot of API, in particular Korean Americans, are like, yeah, I believe it. Like, mm -hmm. like I, I can see how that couldn't happen. But I was like, how can you not tell your cousins or your family members? Maybe your family member not that close. I don't know. But the level of like hush hush in the Korean American population is. It's damaging the mm. Korean population. I think. I think it's hurting our community rather than protecting us. I think it was. I think the notion was to protect, but I think it's actually damaging. It makes people feel isolated. It makes people right. feel um, lost and sick. Maybe they're hiding. Maybe they're in denial. It, it, it's not. I don't think it's healthy to really hide who you are as well. I think so. Um, I think that goes for everything else, but I think in particularly in this case, I think it's really important for us to really address um, that Korean Americans, and particularly, you know, we have a lot of Korean American undocumented people in Southern California. We do. Um, I think the statistics. This is what there really isn't too many statistics down here. I think the ones that uh, we still use is I think from 2015, um, and he hasn't been updated too big yet, but. Um, I think the biggest population are going down the list. I think it has to be, I think there's a sheer number of, uh, in the API community, I think there's a lot of Indian undocumented community members. India itself is also like, a you know, this whole community, there are different kind of communities there, but in just to group it, Indian communities and there's Chinese American communities. And then there's, I think, a lot of different communities. And um, there's if you look at the number, you'd be surprised. You're like, where are all these communities at? And vast majority are in California, and vast majority of them are in Southern California, and more than that, a lot of them are in Los Angeles County. Uh, I mean, uh, LA County and Los Angeles County, in two immigrant communities. And I think it's really important for us to really showcase how important it is to share your stories, because there might be somebody in other parts of the country who might be like, "I'm alone." I'm like, no, you're not. There's so many of us, and we are hiding. And I think I don't think that's okay. Um, I would, you know, I, I never tell somebody, I never out somebody and be like, hey, uh, just so you know, this person is undocumented. Like, I'm not going to out somebody, but I highly encourage them to take ownership of it because it's not something to be ashamed of, right? It's something that's, you know, that's, it's done to you, right? It's not really, you had any control of it, right? If I had any control of becoming undocumented or, or, or have some sort of legal documentation, I, no, nobody in their right mind would choose to be, I choose to remain undocumented i think I, I don't think anybody would really do that i think they would want to like if there's a way if there's an opportunity if there's a if there's a uh pathway no more I, I would i would do it i think it's really important for us to, right now there really isn't any so yeah i think it's it's really important for us to really uh highlight those importance and really speak out on a lot of those issues so yeah, yeah so i think yes, hopefully this hopefully whoever listens to this either you get motivated and empowered or you share it to somebody who you think would be benefiting um and obviously so hopefully we can make get more people to feel 
comfortable and empowered to speak on their story. Yeah. And one of the themes I'm also hearing from you, uh, part of your identity is your faith mm -hmm. and your Christianity. Uh, if you can tell me a little bit about your faith and your journey and how that can be uh, interconnected with the immigrant rights movement and whether um, faith community can do more to help uh, immigrant community, particularly uh, Korean immigrant community. Right. Man, this is a pretty a great uh, transition to it. Um, and I, I think I mentioned it before, I am a Christian. Um, you know, I come from uh, Baptist a Protestant uh, Christianity. Um, so I think it's, and I personally, and then some people might disagree, but I don't think it is separate from my progressive ideas. So I think that is something that a lot of people might disagree. I don't think it's separate. I think you can be Christian and be progressive and understand. I think there's a lot of connotation that people who are religious, particularly Christians, um, tends to be conservative in a lot of the uh, key critical issues, um, but I don't think that's true. I think there's predominantly a lot of uh, progressive Christians out there. Um, I think in terms of just immigration, um, and this is something I love to say, Jesus was a um, uh, was an immigrant, right? <laughs> he he by definition was a uh, Jewish man, right? Um, and he came. Uh, to a foreign land, right? He was escaping um, uh, execution, right? Jesus was was an immigrant by definition, right? He was an immigrant baby. His mother was an immigrant. And back then, there was no like a strict immigration law. It was like, you can't, obviously you can't do that either back in the day. There was no technology, but it, there was no such thing as that. And I think, I think to myself, any of those Christians who said, call themselves Christian and can sit idle and watch families being torn apart, I think you got to be really, really, take a really good look at yourself and your, where your values are. How can you say that you're for humanity and, and what's good for the world and be okay with the atrocities that are being done? You know, and I think there's something I talk to a lot with my I'm grateful enough to have a church that is very loving and caring and, um, you know, understanding. Um, but, you know, I, there's a lot of other churches, a lot of believers who, who still try to deny that Jesus would have been for healthcare, universal healthcare. Jesus would have been for feeding the hungry. Or, you know, Jesus wouldn't been been like, I personally don't think. Maybe maybe I don't know Jesus, from my, but my personal Jesus, my Jesus wouldn't be like, yeah, you know what? You can feed the homeless, but you should get like a you should get like a Lamborghini. You know, like I think I think I would want you to have a Lamborghini. You know, or it is obviously put in an extreme case, but like I I really don't think I think my faith has always been about loving people and loving God, mm. and loving God and the loving people. And I think those two things are not contradictory. I think I think they has always they have always been, and church for a huge part of um, uh, a lot of the Christian, at least the recent times that I know that I'm aware of has been for progressive movements too. And I think that is something that churches should take ownership of. And I'm not saying uh, all church, every church is a little different too. Like it's, it's also hard to say um, there are some churches who are staunch conservatives and some of them are conspiracy theory. And it's really scary. Um, the, the religious fervor they have, over, over their people and, and what they do. But for me personally, I've been blessed enough to have a community that is not only caring and accepting, but also loving. And I think I think those aspects is what, for me, makes a church a healthy and and uh, just healthy and better community overall. So for me, I, I do not think my values have been contradictory. And I think I'm. I can say that with a full intent of my heart and my soul. Yeah. Let me just pivot uh, to uh, your personal interest here. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about your film 
uh, your passion project? <laughs> so and I know I talked to for those who are not, don't know, I talked to Drew before. We know I know Drew pretty well as well. Uh, we know each other, um, and I talked to Drew re, uh, a while ago about this idea out of a film. I'm not any any spectrum of a you know of a. I don't think you could describe me as a filmmaker, but I'm a film lover. I just love film because I think in, in its core, it's about telling stories. And I'm well, let me tell you this. Stories. Yeah. What's your favorite film? Or is that a story? What's my favorite film? Okay. So I think it, it's kind of saying like, I don't want to give you, I'll give you an, an answer that a lot of give. It's kind of saying, what's your favorite food? You something have a different vibe, you know? Mm, but one okay. of my few favorite films are, and not in any list, um, I'm a huge a fan of Bong Joon-ho. You know, uh, the, the director recently was famous for a parasite, but he had a film called yeah. The Host. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's an old movie. Um, I think it's in the early 2000s. If I recall, it's about uh, Korea and, it's, and it's a, it takes place in Korea. It's about a monster. But that's the least interesting part about that movie. It's really about like family. And mm -hmm. it also has a sprinkle of like, like capitalism and uh, imperialism in it. It sprinkled in it. And it was really interesting because I don't know you could have, and I think it's at a point where I watched it where I start to notice the world around me rather than world is not just black and white. I was like, oh no, world is bitter gray and has different colors and just beautiful colors and everything. So I realized that film had undertone. And I was like, oh my God, I think that, that that's why I think it has a special place in my heart. Um, I think a lot of other famous films that I enjoyed, at least I think, uh, was uh, just, I think I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan. Um, high concept, sometimes not the, I think a lot of people uh, uh, criticize his like level of human story, but I, you know, I really love Christopher Nolan and what he does. I think the science, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. I just love sci-fi. Um, and yeah, and just big spectacle things. I'm like, I just love watching how films are created. Um, I subscribe to all these YouTube videos on how films are created. And like I said, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm just a film lover. And I just love, I just love those films. And, um, and I know there's like uh, a group of undocumented filmmakers uh, and they're, they tell a lot of amazing, amazing stories. Uh, so many of them are documentarians, which is basically as real as, as you can get. And it's really hard. Um, but that as well as they make a lot of, uh, just genuine stories. So I, I think I'm a lot of those, but um, yeah, I think for sure. Uh, yeah, I think those, I think right now I could think I could go on and on, but I think those two right now are two things that I really enjoyed uh, watching and just two filmmakers who, who mm -hmm. I really enjoy. Yeah. But. And, and this film project or thinking of that you're doing is yes. kind of related to immigration work or is something uh, totally like for your uh, entertainment or your another passion project of your mind? So this story is actually more universal than uh, I think uh, aspect of like immigration, even though immigration is universal. But I think to its core immigration, if you boil it down, and I've been trying to boil down a lot of stories, is about uh, being new or being different or being somewhere different. You know, I think that's, if you boil down to a lot of immigration, I think it's all about that, I think. Uh, there's a lot of aspects to it too, but I think for me, the way I see it is, immigration story tends to at, uh, attach a lot of this other aspect, which is being new to, new, being an outsider almost, but coming in and taking ownership and being proud of that and, um, and making it your own and also those aspects. but. Um, the film idea is a short film. It's about a coming of age story about two college uh, students driving to college. Um, so it's a very short, um, I'm gonna try to, so my one of my goals this year is to finish the script um, to, to this film and uh, maybe who knows, maybe you can film it, but I had this idea for, for more than five years, almost, wow. I think more than six, seven years now. Um, and I never ruined a script before. I, I never. I, I studied economics. You know, I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm just a film film lover. I just love stories. I just really think stories unites us all. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that. Um, so for me, that's why I just just love stories. And I think uh, this film is obviously can be done low budget. It doesn't. It's not a sci-fi. It's just a coming of age story about these two uh, college, uh, what soon to be college students on the road to college and. Uh, their short experience in that on the road really fundamentally sort of changes and 
and who they are. Because you can't have story without conflict. I think it's kind of difficult to have a story without conflict. So yeah. um, I think they, they are at a crossroads and then they have to decide whether or not they are they choose one way or the other. And um, and hoping that, uh, I think I'm hoping that this story will resonate. And the reason I'm being very broad is because I'm still working a lot of aspects to the film that I don't know if it's going to end up in the final film. Um, but it's just um, something that I had this idea in my head and it's something that I just want to get it out of my head. I think it's just banging in my head and I just want to get it out. So um, maybe the future people who are watching, they'll be like, hey, Eric, is that the guy who directed that movie? You know, rather than... There we go. Uh, and then it just be like, yeah, that's great. It's not like a crazy film. It's not like Spectre. It's just, it's just a human film. And I think it's really fun. I, I, and I, every single person I talk to brings such a great insight to the story and on what they took out of it. Um, and uh, it, it just, I just love telling you, they enjoy it too. Maybe they just enjoy, my enthusiasm is contagious, but um, they really enjoy the story. And, I'll, and every time I sort of tell it, um, what I want to do with it. And I think uh, I'm really excited this year. Um, I'm going to finish the script. Um, I watch, I'm going to try to learn how to do a script. What is it? There's so many different things like I got to do right, right. leading up to that. What is a, what is a story? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's dissecting that in my head. But I really, I think it's going to be a journey and I really am excited for this next part. Um, so hopefully I can uh, provide uh, something for those who are listening in the future. You know, uh, maybe like, hey, like, he talked about the story at this podcast. Uh, let me see what he's up to now. I'm like, oh, he made this story, and then watch. Oh, it's a pretty good. Story. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good story. <laughs> as yes. long as somebody goes like, hey, it wasn't bad. I think that <laughs> that's good enough for me. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'll also have to say your enthusiasm is indeed contagious, and I'm really excited for you, and I can't wait to yeah. watch uh, uh, the film uh, once it's released. Uh, one last question. Mm-hmm. for you what would you give advice to your younger self and why well what advice would i give to my younger self okay um well younger self could be me yesterday <laughs> yes. um, but i'm guessing it's maybe like when i was like really younger um i think that what advice would i give him? i think you know i think something that i was before previously and i still i think part of me is i was very stubborn and I, th- I thought I knew the world. I'm like, hey, this is just the way the world works. And when I, the moment I lost that, or I sort of broke out of that, sh- you know, uh, shade of color, uh, the way and I How thought, did you break out of that? I think it's just experiences. And I don't, I can't, it's kind of like, um, the, I love analogies. So I, <laughs> I don't know if that says anything about me, but um, it's kind of like the stonebreaker. Right, people who break stone, like people who carve stone, um, it takes hours of multiple hits to break. The last hit broke it, but the stone breaker knows it wasn't the last hit that broke. It was the previous things that led up to that last break, mm. right? So, um, like like in that aspect, I don't know if there was like a one moment as clearly where it sort of broke out, but I think it was multiple things in my life where I think being one of them definitely has to do with the fact that I was undocumented, learned that I was undocumented and a lot of it other one was like you know I, I don't know everything i think looking back you're like i don't know everything why do i think that i know everything and i'm not saying i was there again maybe some aspect was but i thought i knew the world and i was like you know what this is just the way the world is and i think the moment my eyes were widened was talking to more people and experiencing more things and uh, really understanding uh different lives and i think this is why the film is so personal to me because i think um breaking out of my own shell of introvertedness really helped me uh, become a more of a i think more of a like deeper person so i think that um i think what broke me out definitely was i think being open-minded and just know that sometimes we don't know everything and that's okay being 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 okay with not knowing everything and not being and about that i think thing uh that's that thing that's the advice i would give um, i'm trying to think about like one aspect of my life be- what happened right before that impact happened in my life i'm like hey everything's gonna be okay and 
One, like forgive yourself. I think a lot of, like I made a lot of mistakes. Um, forgive yourself. Um, as long as you learn from your mistake um, and you grow from it, it's not really a mistake. And you learn from it. And um, that is something that I always ask myself, like what lesson am I learning? <laughs> am I learning a lesson here? Like am I being humbled or what What could I get out of this experience? I think that's something I always ask myself. So um, in that aspect, like just be humble and learn to forgive yourself. And, and in that aspect, learn to forgive others. And I think uh, that's the advice I would give. And I give to anybody else who are also in need of like, you know, confusion and uh, who are also, you know, in need of guidance, like those two things, those many things. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what, that's sort of the advice I'll give to my younger self. Great advice. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, uh, Eric, for your time and sharing your uh, personal journey with us. And again, thank you. Um, I wish you all the best with all your work. And um, I'm also excited about your film. And once <laughs> the film is released, we're going to have another podcast around. So Yes, yeah. Uh, I talk about how hard it is to work with all these different production stuff. And I, I would love to go on, uh, on a rant about those. So, yeah, maybe I'll be, I'll be a different person then, too. And I, I hope so. I hope to continue to grow and change. Well, thanks again. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow me on Instagram at Immigrations. See you at the next episode.